0: I had found this loose thread and started pulling on it by doing a proper low-oxalate diet. And this whole complicated pattern of all these many health problems just started falling away. And it became more and more obvious that I had been torturing myself for over my love of beet greens and Swiss chard and sweet potatoes for
1: decades. You're listening to Eat For Life, the show that aims to help you identify the root causes of what ails you so you can heal and live the life you are meant for. I'm your host, Sammy G. Kidney stones are a commonly known side effect of oxalate toxicity, but many people are unaware of the other debilitating symptoms oxalates create, such as joint pain, rectal pain, gastrointestinal issues, insomnia, inflammation in the bones brain fog, and female genital pain and irritation, commonly known as vulvodynia, to name a few. Oxalate toxicity was uncovered over 100 years ago, yet few doctors know about the impact oxalates can have on human health, which is why I'm honored to have Sally K. Norton, author of Toxic Foods and How Oxalate Overload is Making You Sick and How to Get Better to the Show. Sally holds a nutrition degree from Cornell University and a master's degree in public health. She uses a research-based approach teaching about a simple way to reverse even serious health complaints with diet by avoiding large quantities of natural toxic chemicals and crystals called oxalates. Oxalates are found in many of the foods we think are good for us, and much of her work is in re-educating people who have suffered from illnesses as a result of eating foods that are packed with oxalates. Welcome to the show, Sally. I am so excited to have you.
0: Thank you. It's really a pleasure. Appreciate the opportunity to meet you and your audience. It's great.
1: Yeah, likewise. It's been a long time coming as we were chatting earlier. Sally, as you know, oxalate toxicity is very much misunderstood. So, I'm so grateful that we can have this discussion to bring more light to this issue. But before we jump into the nitty gritty, I'd love it if you could share with us what the turning point was in your life that led you to focus on oxalate.
0: Yeah, I uh, struggled, of course, with health issues most of my life. And <laughs> I was really surprised when I finally had the insight that my diet and the oxalates that I was eating was connected to my arthritis. That was real mind blowing because arthritis had been torturing me. It started when I was 12, but in my vegan years in my 20s, when I was going through a divorce and all this, it was a stressful time. But I was really started starting around age 18. I had periods of inflammatory sort of rheumatoid arthritis that were so bad that I could sometimes not even unlock a door. just didn't have the strength in my hands. This is a 19-year-old. Wow. So this had been a big plaguing thing where I just chronically had joint pain and inflammation. No one could explain it. You know, I had skin punch biopsies and other attempts to, like, figure out what's going on. and. And so here I am, I'm 49 years old, and I had, about three years earlier, had started learning about oxalates through the Vulva Pain Foundation. Mm. They're the only Mm. contemporary group that's been trying to educate the public and providers that oxalate in our diet is really significant to our health and can cause pain syndromes. And their focus is pelvic pain syndromes, vulvodynia, and things like that. And they've been at this a long time. They've done a lot of the food testing that we're relying on now to understand how to do a low oxalate diet. And, but I didn't really get it when I first learned about it because, of course, I'm well educated, so I'm hard to teach. (laughs) 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 And I I really was looking for like the logical medical explanation. How could this stuff in my kiwi and celery be affecting my? crotch. And and so but I thought it was just like crotch pain. I didn't realize that it was systemic inflammation, joint destruction, connective tissue problems, like gut wow. damage, vascular damage, fatigue, like I didn't realize this is like catastrophic effects down at the cellular level that has the power to affect everything. And that it was for a long time, our oxalate arthritis and oxalate gout were a thing mm-hmm. that I didn't even know about. So when I had gout in college, my doctor didn't say, Oh, what are you eating? No, he, he said, you know, You've got gout. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I'm like 20 and I'm a vegan or no, I was a vegetarian at that point. And like, why would I have gout? Isn't that for old fat guys who eat too much meat and drink a lot? (laughs) <laughs> that's what we were told like you know so right yes it was really shocking to me when I went back on so you know the low oxygen I am I have pain went away quickly whatever that's not my thing I have a sleep disorder I have this I have that I have this I have this I have this I need to fix my sleep disorder because I can't work right and so mm. that is about toxicity which is says it's about endotoxicity from gut dysbiosis i got to fix my sibo and i'm focusing on gut health and i so i added back kiwi and celery in the form of uh, juicing and daily kiwi because kiwi is supposed to help you with chronic constipation mm-hmm. the yes. classic sign of oxalate problems is you know ibs and gut dysregulation but i none of us know this right and so i was shocked that as i spent a summer eating one to two or even sometimes three kiwis every day that from august to by october i was all tightened down i my my yoga my hot yoga practice i was going to bikram yoga like a couple days a week at least at that point and my practice i would get worse and worse over the months worse and worse stiffer and stiffer and i was laying in bed one night with the arthritis back full-blown again mm-hmm. joint inflammation and hot and pain and, and i'm like Wait a minute, this has got to be the kiwi because now I know about the oxalates and the little bit of celery that I was throwing in my juice with lettuce and stuff. Mm -hmm. And this was a huge breakthrough for me like, oh, man, all this time the arthritis has been just the way I eat. I've been doing this to myself. So then I was kind of mad because now I have to do this stupid low-oxalate diet thing. <laughs> this is so I got all these other problems. I can't sleep. What about my dysbiosis? What am I going to do? Why do I have to deal with this? I'm like, okay, here we go. Knuckling down to yet another stupid diet plan or whatever. And so I'm like, ah, got to do this thing. And you know, within a week, <laughs> my sleep disorder was obviously going away because now I could read oh. the mail. I could function. All kinds of stuff started clearing up. And by... Springtime, my feet were better. I had had so many feet problems historically wow. too. And now my feet are fine. <laughs> like I can be barefoot for the first time in my adult life. Wow. And I'm functioning again. And this was just like shocking. What I, what was sort of unraveling the sweater of problems. So, so this I had found this loose thread and started pulling on it by doing a proper low oxalate diet and this whole complicated pattern of all these many health problems just started falling away. And it became more and more obvious that I had been torturing myself for over my love of beet greens and Swiss chard and sweet potatoes for decades. Mm. (laughs) So it was a mind blower. And then then I was sort of like speechless, like, how come I don't know anything about this? How could I have a degree from Ivy League University? How could I be in the field of integrated medicine and public health? And be completely unaware that the f- the level of oxalate in our normal quote normal foods the foods we think of are normal now is enough to poison you and destroy your health. This is not known, and I know that there's people like me out there who try to eat healthy, who are doing the best they can, and they're they're. Have no answers, no solutions, they keep spending money and time trying the next chiropractor and the next naturopath and the next IV therapy and the next this and the next diagnostic test and the next genome test. And like they're just spending time and energy praying for a solution and they're not getting anywhere. And this is the folks that I'm helping out now. I've just started teaching for free in the community. And
1: boy, what
0: amazing things I'm seeing with people. who Wow. Are trying
1: wow. Thank you for sharing your story with us. And I'm, I'm just so blessed that we have you because had you not gone through all that pain and suffering you wouldn't be helping so many people in the way that you are today. And I love your story, Sally, and I can totally relate because I did the same thing when I was quite a bit younger. I started off vegetarian and then vegan, and then my health really took a a, a nosedive. You know, we're kind of taught that this is the holy grail of eating, the way to enlightenment. But what I found was not so much enlightenment, but a place where ego loves to hide, And There's a lot of dogma and a lot of manipulation that can happen. I'm not saying that happens everywhere, so I don't say that to be dismissive or disparaging to anyone and their their beliefs. That's not where I'm going with this, but that we're constantly um, hit over the head. I'd like to say with the propaganda that in order to be a healthy individual, you have to not eat any meat at all and eat all of these vegetables is just Flat out false. What's interesting, and you've posted on this about Liam Hemsworth, his kind of little journey of kind of being more vegan, doing lots of spinach and and cacao, I believe, and having these these uh, vegan protein shakes, and ending up in the hospital. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, yeah. He was really getting into the smoothies. He was, you know, he had married a animal activist and vegan. And so that encouraged this, like, get healthy, save the planet kind of way of eating. And, of course, he's young and gorgeous. And who doesn't want to stay gorgeous and eat the right things? (laughs) (laughs) And he was supposed to be at a movie premiere for Isn't It Romantic? And he was supposed to go to an awards banquet. And he missed them both because he was in the hospital getting surgery for kidney stone crises. And apparently his doctors weren't that helpful. And he got on the Internet to look for answers and look, learn, he learned about oxalate and uh, that helped him go, Ooh, I've got to rethink my diet. (laughs) Luckily we can reach people through the internet and through what we're doing right now. And that's been just really exciting to see people find an answer. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. they're not finding it from those of us who are still in mainstream thinking still in the mainstream institutions and haven't been forced out and forced to like basically our bottom moment and having to climb back and go back into the literature and get the real scoop.
1: Thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. So Sally, what is oxalate?
0: <laughs> yeah, oxalate is this chemical that's apparently everywhere. And it's a very small little molecule that starts off as oxalic acid molecule, which is a two carbon molecule has four oxygens on it, which gives it a lot of oxidative powers, which sort of makes sense. It also is a chelator. Mm. It grabs minerals. So it loves to connect with minerals and ultimately it'll play around like play the field but it ultimately ends up with calcium so oxalate plays around a lot in, but it ends up ultimately marrying calcium in biology so plants can use oxalic acid and build these crystals these calcium oxalate crystals but it, they use them for a lot of other things and they they defend themselves by building crystals and making a lot of oxalic acid and they do all kinds of things with their metabolism it works great for them we're still eating plants that have a lot of this oxalic acid and these oxalate crystals that the plants build. And we can be overloading ourselves with something that is quite toxic. It's toxic enough that people can literally die even on foods full of oxalate, oxalic acid or oxalate. It's kind of synonymous because this, this little molecule switches forms. It can have one charge or two charges. It can have partners like with, with other minerals and things like that. And and so we call oxalate as sort of this general term for oxalic acid, oxalate crystals. It's a, it's a kind of a global term referring to who knows what form it's in, but you're eating it. You're eating it as an acid. You're eating it as a crystal Mm -hmm. and uh, things like, you know, spinach, Swiss chard, sorrel and, and uh, beet greens are the high oxalate greens that are sort of famous. And then rhubarb rhubarb is probably, right up there tied with beet greens and Swiss chard. I used to eat all of that. I grew up eating rhubarb and uh, beet greens all summer. So for yeah, at least half the year, you know, and I love the vegetables mm-hmm. as a kid. So if you're already a kid like I was, who was uh, had ear infections, pool, swimmer's ear. And before that I had little streps that eventually by age five, they took out my tonsils and that. So oh, I was wow. on liquid penicillin, which is pretty nasty stuff. You don't forget these things.
1: No, And
0: no. Those of us who wow. have this kind of background are even in greater harm's way from loving their beet greens and rhubarb. And then by 12, I've got back pain and arthritis. And by my 20s, I'm leaving college to go have double foot surgery and wow. using wheelchairs. And they have me on huge amounts of ibuprofen for five years. I was taking like 3,600 milligrams of ibuprofen because I was in so much foot pain, which helps wow. suppress some of that arthritis a little bit. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Luckily, I still have a gut and kidneys despite all that m- medication. <laughs> but you end up with gut problems with uh, that high oxide diet and something like ibuprofen or, you know, Motrin, you're going to end up with IBS. And, and what really got me to IBS was my vegan diet, wanting to mm-hmm. eat beans. And so I, I was cooking dried beans at home in a slow cooker, not killing the lectins. Mm, And during that period is when I got really bad case of IBS. But in the meantime, all along, oxalate and the lectins and the other plant compounds have been wearing me down. And, you know, my gut's never been right since about 1990. It's finally pretty happy now, but it's on a diet that has very minimal plants and very little oxalate in it. And that's allowed a certain degree of recovery, but Mm -hmm. ideally with oxalate poisoning, you prevent it if you wait till you've got a problem you've got a long-term problem because Mm -hmm. not only is it messing up our gut while we're eating it but it's creating a condition where this stuff is building up in our bodies because we're eating it so frequently the body it overwhelms the kidney's ability to remove it from the body and you end up with this deposition disease where these little invisible deposits of little nanocrystals and microcrystals Build up in your thyroid, in your joint spaces, in your marrow, in your bone tissue, anywhere. It, your vascular system, mm. it can get anywhere into the body. And then you've got a chronic disease of high oxalate, even when you quit eating it. And this is very concerning because you need the immune system to clean out the mess. And so not only does these little particulate contaminants, like little bits of asbestos crystals, basically, it's basically the same type of irritant into the tissues, body tries to mask it and not have you have any symptoms. So you can have this all going on with no symptoms at all, because the immune system's very good at helping you feel good enough and go have your life and it'll deal with your stupidities in the background. <laughs> That is true. (laughs) It's really good. And so the problem is we don't notice that we're making ourselves sick, even if we are already are sick. We don't realize it has anything to do with the diet because the body's doing a great job managing it. But once you've done this your whole life, like I did, or even for a a couple of good years on keto bread and spinach smoothies is enough to get you into big trouble. And right now, you got so many ways to get in trouble with these foods because chia bowls are so popular and the juicing and the vegetarian and vegan propaganda, as you, as you mentioned earlier. We're, we're swimming in a sea of pro, pro, pro vegetables and pro quinoa and pro superfood and pro almonds and nuts are now okay. Again, everybody used to be, dieticians used to be afraid of the fat and, and nuts. <laughs> and now it's fine because everyone's got diabetes. So we got to like back off on fear of fat. But it's become a big mess right now, our, our information, and so we're not paying attention to oxalate. And perfectly innocent people who are trying to eat well are getting mm-hmm. in trouble. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, thank you for that overview, Sally. I think it, what's fascinating to me is, and correct me if I'm wrong, please, but this is a, has been a known issue for over 100 years now. Is that, is that correct?
0: The uh, original diagnosis was called the oxalic acid diathesis. I'm not sure if the favorite way to pronounce that, but that was from 1842. Wow. And we knew back then that in the spring, if you're eating a lot of rhubarb tarts, you could get into big trouble eating rhubarb. Mm -hmm. And it was more obvious then, and that was in England where they drink tea every day and they eat white potatoes. Those are both also sources of oxalate. But when you add in a mega source like rhubarb annually in the spring, you see this disease show up post rhubarb season amongst the wealthy who have can afford sugar so they can afford a rhubarb tart. Right. So it was (laughs) fellow doctors and the students who are becoming doctors like in their their little circle. So they trusted them when they said, Oh my God, I'm going to die of an obstruction. They'd show up with like intestinal obstruction disease. It looked like they were at an instruction, but they had what they had is probably some big, neurological muscle spasm uh, because it's so neurotoxic mm-hmm. we see this now where the similar thing that's contemporary now not from 1842 because although i'm hearing people use rhubarb in weird ways now you can do rhubarb juicing and rhubarb oh no Ooh, and there's like the, rhubarb is is still considered a medicinal thing um, but nowadays, the 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 food that has the most kind of power, really knocks someone off the planet, is star fruit, and that's an herbal remedy that's supposed to save you and do you know fix your diabetes and your different <laughs> that. That's popular in South and Central America and most of Asia. So there, where you, people will use the juice of um, of the uh, star fruit. You hmm. know, many things that have some oxalate in them that become juice are lower, like orange juice is lower when it's fruit, because there's a lot of crystals there that get moved out when you make the juice somehow. I don't really understand that. But with, this, with the star fruit, not so much. And the start, the juicing gets rid of the other toxins in it, one called carboxin. So it really makes it quite clear. It's the oxalate is the toxin of interest. And those poor folks who, who are sick or the rats that you do the studies on with the star fruit juice... One of their major symptoms right before they die is hiccups. Wow. Which is a neurotoxicity symptom, which I didn't realize that until I started reading the literature that the hiccup is a muscle spasm coming because the nerves aren't working right. Right. So your diaphragm and your vagal nerve are not happy um, because they're toxic. So that nerve Mm. toxicity is really quite serious and real, very well documented in the literature and yet, we haven't taken it all the way to realize that if you're eating a neurotoxin every day that could give you IBS, hiccups, belching, and all kinds of other neurological issues, including clumsiness and dropping things, it can also mm-hmm. give you chronic brain inflammation that can lead to mental health concerns, chronic anxiety. It can create developmental problems, you know, neurological developmental problems if you're exposed to it in developmental stages, fetally as, as a newborn. You know, in adolescence, these wouldn't be good times to be eating neurotoxic compound that also sucks the minerals out of your body because it Mm. grabs minerals, right? So it grabs minerals from your food, lowers how much you can absorb. And then when the acid, the acid is the part that gets into your bloodstream, and it eventually hooks up with the minerals in your blood or tissues and lowers the amount of minerals there. So you have less minerals in order to take care of your cells and to build your bones with, and then you have to use your bones to buffer the loss of calcium and also buffer the acidity because it creates a chronic acidity. So it doesn't take long to start getting early osteopenia and osteoporosis and all kinds of connective tissue problems. But the the really the original diagnosis from the 1880s, the way you diagnosed this was someone had a digestive issue, plus they had either neurological symptoms like we just discussed, you know, like mental health problems. these people would get like really anxious and weird, like weird personality problems, this could be a neurotoxicity thing. And um, if it wasn't neurological, then it was connective tissue. So it was rheumatism, arthritis, aches and pains, weak joints, stiff joints, funky things going on, like my
1: bad feet. Wow. I think that's really powerful to hear because you know kidney stones are a commonly known side effect of oxalate toxicity. Most people know about that. But the other debilitating symptoms that oxalates create, I think, are, you know, as we've been discussing, just completely off the radar. So can we also talk about some of the other ways that oxalate impacts the body? I mean, you know, rectal issues, vulvodynia, most women don't know what that is, that external female genital pain and irritation. You know, you mentioned that earlier. Uh, Of course, there's the gut stuff, the motility issues, how it screws with enzymes and so forth. What is the name of the organization the Volvodynia, isn't it? Yeah, a- the,
0: the Volvar Vulva Pain, Pain Foundation, and they've been in action over 26 years, I believe, at this point. Really devoted to trying to reach out to folks
1: mm-hmm. in
0: kind of a little old-fashioned way, because she's not really big on being on the internet. She has a lovely website, which, lovely because it saved my butt, <laughs> <laughs> because I had this little attack at home and I just yelled out in the air, like somebody cut these off. Cause I don't need genitals anymore. I was like really it was so bad. And I was only had like three days of this. Now I had had issues over the years in the crotch zone for a long time. And when I was, um, what was I eating? Swiss chard. I was growing Swiss chard when I went back to Cornell to finish my nutrition degree there, I was growing Swiss chard in married student housing and, kind mm. of broke and like trying to live off my garden. So I was eating these massive portions of Swiss chard and I got like a blood blister on my vulva and just oh.
1: my ability
0: to cope with the stress was not good. So anyway, I don't know why I'm talking about that.
1: No, it's important. I think women <laughs> the, the vulva don't know. The pain connection.
0: Like, yeah, yeah. I so knew I'm wanting them to be cut off and my yeah. husband looks uh. to go- Dr. Google like what could cause Vulva pain, and he finds the vulva or foundation, which shocked me because I was working like 35 minutes from where they're located. They're somewhere between Greensboro and Mebane, North Carolina, and I had done a conference there in 2005, and, and with a focus on toxins, and had Doris Rapp come in, and was bringing in the endometriosis foundation and association, and like bringing in these diseases that are known to be toxic toxicity diseases i didn't know anything about oxalate if i had known anything that i know now i would have had them front and center at that conference so i was shocked that they were so close to me and i had never found them but then i'm pretty techy person and i'm logical i need to derive it from like the basic mechanisms and the the research and understand the kind of metabolic environment to like buy a story like what the heck is this oxalate have to do with anything like Mm -hmm. even crotch pain like it didn't work for me and because when you quit eating the oxalates you only feel better sometimes for five to 14 days and then you start feeling bad again so you think well that wasn't it that didn't work that was just a placebo hopeful oh maybe this right. could help anything. and so right. you, you dismiss it and that's sort of what happened to me because then I added in my beloved sweet potatoes I have a nice organic garden and I grow my own sweet potatoes and swiss chard and everything else And I love my sweet potatoes because when I got off the vegan wagon, I had to like do it because I was no longer able to tolerate wheat and beans. And so without wheat and beans, I wanted a nice daily starch so the sweet potatoes fit in nicely. So I've been eating them like as a breakfast food and uh, a dinner side dish for years. And I wanted them back because we tend to get addicted to our abusers.
1: (laughs) Oh, I can relate to that for sure. (laughs) So when I'd eat it again,
0: I'd add back my beloved sweet potato, and that didn't make me feel worse. So I thought, well, this isn't my issue. This must not be oxalate. It can't be oxalate because I can eat the sweet potato, and it doesn't give me symptoms. But that's not how this works, and that's what gets us all, like, confused. So it's really clear that this is hard to understand.
1: Yeah. And I know, I mean, we'll get into the, you know, the dumping aspect, the oxalate dumping aspect in a bit, but I'm glad that you said that because to your point, it's like, well, people will do something for a couple of weeks and well, I'm not noticing anything. And I I always want to encourage, uh, you know, the people that I serve that, okay, we need to give this time and we're going to go in phases and we're going to go slow because, you know, as you've shared previously, um, there's a diversity of presentation. So is it dietary? Is there a genetic component here? It's not standard for everyone. I mean, and how's the, the, the health of your liver, you know, glutathione production, all of those things, even metallothionine, another one of our master antioxidants. So I can't help but wonder, of course, if we're looking at someone that just has a huge oxidative stress overload, uh, you know, the variation there. And of course, to your point, if they're trying something and that load isn't at least in the smallest amount being reduced in a couple of weeks, the frustration sets in and I know this isn't working. So Sally, can we talk about the role that the gut microbiome plays in oxalate production? Because it's it's interesting, you know, the SIBO and then there's the yeast uh, connection there. Is it correct that an inflamed gut absorbs like five to ten times more oxalate?
0: Yeah, because your oxalic acid is a single ionic molecule that's riding in the water, just like a dissolved piece of sodium would do. So that rides in the water between the cells. And those those junctions that connect the cells together, hold them together, they're like little bits of Velcro. You know, And Velcro has spaces mm-hmm. in between it. And that, that Velcro, the water's flowing through the Velcro. But when you have leaky gut, there's big gaps in the Velcro, right? So it's just flooding in. So a whole lot more can get in. The, the supposed normal absorption rate is like 8 or 10% up to about 15%. And that keeps going up with the moderner research, I think, because generally we all have a little more leaky gut. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, this is so hard to study. There's so much uncertainty yeah. in how this works and so much diversity of influencing factors. So somewhere eight percent to fifteen is normal, but you can absorb as much as sixty-five or seventy percent of wow. that you eat. You know, wow. and that depends a little bit on solubility. And if you're on a vegan diet with no dairy or low calcium, so the calcium in your foods will sometimes bind with this oxalic acid and then it's harder, much less of that can get in, like only 2% of that can get in. And that's probably less toxic if it's already coming in bound with calcium. So the real problem is that leaky gut, but oxalate helps to create that inflammation that leads to the leaky gut. And the crystals in the plants, the plants build these crystals, that's like eating sandpaper, which Mm -hmm. also has electromagnetic effects on membranes and also screws up the basic structure of a cell and puts it in oxidative stress. It interrupts the mitochondrial health and it really puts a lot of inflammatory and oxidative stress on cells. So that's already happening just with eating the stuff, whether you absorb it or not. But then you have this diet with, like, I, with my, you know, slow cooked beans and high oxalate. This is a nightmare for your gut. So you end up with a lot of dysbiosis as well as leaky gut because the excess oxalate and, of course, the excess fiber feeds the wrong guys and kills the good guys. Oxalate kills bacteria and creates dysbiosis. And you get dysbiosis, which means you'll have more yeast than you should have and more of these commensal things that should be whose populations are need to be controlled. And what's left is that the gut has to control those overgrowth populations with inflammation. So you increase inflammation in the gut when you have an overgrown microbiome. And if you're feeding it oxalate, you're killing your bacteria off at and you're allowing commensal yeast and other things to thrive. You're also screwing with your pH and the general ecology of the body, and that more acidic pH, the acidosis that oxalate creates metabolically, encourages yeast and other pathogens, both in the gut and throughout the whole body. In fact, one of the signs that you might have a problem with oxalate is that you've had a history of chronic infections, whether they're UTIs, vaginal yeast infections, sinus infections, or things like chronic Lyme, Uh, Even Maybe even Epstein-Barr. But if you have infections that don't respond to treatment, you have an ecology problem. Your immune system's been trying to handle it, and it can't anymore. It's it's really struggling because the ecology of your body is really off kilter. And oxalate is a major player in that too.
1: We often don't realize what we're doing is connected to the problem, and that's basically what you were sharing with us,
0: right? And so, some people want want it to be that the yeast overgrowth is now promoting the oxalate problem, and the, but yeah. we don't know that that's possible. The yeast can have a compound that looks like vitamin C, an ascorbate type compound, mm-hmm. and there's it's possible that that could degrade into oxalate because it. It's possible, maybe, there's no research on this to prove this. is true that some of that ascorbate coming from the yeast could become a little more oxalate, but it's really just a a kind of an academic argument. It's not really relevant. What's relevant is you can't get a proper biotic balance in your body because you're toxic.
1: Be sure to stick around as Sally and I talk about the real superfoods our bodies thrive on how food fear holds people back and steps you can take to heal from oxalate overload. And if you're ready for one-on-one support, I invite you to book a complimentary consultation with me to see how I can help support you this year. Go to eatfor.life, then click on the free consultation button to book your free discovery call today. Again, the vegan propaganda that meat is bad for us causes heart disease, I want to make sure that we have this discussion because we don't realize that what we're doing is connected to the problem and we're allowing this kind of mainstream message that we all need to be vegan to kind of create a lot of fear about meat and animal products in general.
0: People are going to be where they are in this, you know, paralyzed in this world of fear about food, which is totally not where we're going with, like, warning people. But actually, not at all. Like, what we have to do is make you... Not terrified about not eating spinach. <laughs> like, okay. Somehow, mm-hmm. people think if you don't eat spinach, you're going to die tomorrow. Like it's an essential nutrient. No, it is not. Thank <laughs> you for saying that. Really, confusing <laughs> to people like no, it is. I totally want to give you permission. You can have a free <laughs> future, and it'll be a brighter, better future. I promise you that. But, you know, you can stay vegan for a while and really benefit. I have several vegan followers, a local one here in town who's a friend of mine, and he's still very vegan, but he's not a preacher kind of vegan, so he's willing to be my friend. I've become quite a meat eater, and he doesn't mind that. He comes over for dinners or whatever. And he's fine with that. But he brings over his little rice and uh, nori rolls and makes his little malnourishing foods. And he's done really well on it. He's He's got his foot and ankle pain. Over for the most part oh, and he's had wonderful. about five sort of gouty relapses where he knows this is an oxalate clearing where the tissues are now getting repaired and that repair process is Uh, my best analogy for that is like having to resurface the roads in town. You have to go dig up the pavement and mess up the traffic and make everything a big painful traffic disaster. So you get this like week or two of gouty arthritis. It's part of that rebuilding better tissue Mm -hmm. and digging out these crystal deposits. And so he's had that maybe four times that he's told me about where he's had to use crutches and all that. And the first one is scary. He ran to the rheumatologist and, begged for help and relief because you feel like you're a complete cripple, Um, but that's part of him getting better. And he's managed to still feel, stay low oxalate, but it's a fairly, it's really hard to get enough nutrients on
1: Yeah, I'm just thinking, I'm concerned about that. Yeah, Yeah, very concerned,
0: but we can't live other people's lives for them, but we can offer them, look, if whatever diet style works for you emotionally and how politically or whatever that is. Please don't poison yourself with oxalate. You can avoid poisoning yourself with oxalate, no matter what your philosophy is. But if you want to be well nourished and healthy and really be disease-free and have sturdy tissues and an old age with muscles, so you're not a frail um, hospital patient in old age, you're gonna need some protein. You're gonna mm. need some quite a bit of animal foods. That's just if you want a bigger goal. But if your your goal is To stay vegetarian, you can still have that. I don't want to take that away from anybody. I would like you to be liberated from the feel, but you feel you need to do that for any reason, whether it's political, whether it's animal love, whether it's saving the planet, which is one of my big things, is having clean air and a future for, for living things on the planet. That's, you know, I have solar panels and a garden and a little tiny carbon footprint house and a shared car. And like I'm into that. But not eating animals is not saving the planet. It's not saving our politics. It's not improving the world. And it could be destroying your long-term health.
1: Mm. I just want to kind of circle back if we could, Sally, to the highest oxalate foods you've, you know, you've shared with us. Of course, we know spinach, Swiss chard, beet greens, um, sorrel, beets, uh, russet potatoes, and then of course the sweet potatoes. But you know, also things like almonds. And, you know, many years ago, I don't know if you remember this, but, you know, the whole superfood train uh, started coming down the track. And we were told that we needed to start incorporating uh, turmeric into our diet and cacao, cacao, the, the food of the gods. And I would have these like so-called raw cacao shakes in the morning. And I thought, oh, I'm doing all this wonderful good in my body. And then I started developing this rash around my mouth and around my hairline. My anxiety and my depression just shot through the roof, and I had no energy. I mean, it was really, really bad. So I think that if we can, you know, talk about some of those foods that are still promoted as super, and uh, you know, you have a new book coming out about toxic superfoods, which 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 I love, and we'll have a link to that. But but can we can we talk about that a bit? Yeah, and this is so interesting that
0: the highest oxalate foods have been championed as superfoods. And I I have long wondered if someone would ever do some research to correlate like how toxic a plant is to how many antioxidant compounds, the the phenols Mm -hmm. and stuff we think of are antioxidants, we supposedly think were good for us, how they go together. Um, What is it about plant metabolism where they need more of those things that we have – decided are our darlings which is really based on some bad science actually Mm -hmm. the polyphenols do all kinds of bad things but you don't get to hear about that we have a benefits only mindset that's really based on a market economy that wants to turn any little science discovery into a product immediately and so we rush to market with ideas and then we rush to market with Ideas for so you can get tenure, like you got to have the best idea in science in order for you to, you know, advance in science and get your career secure and hang with the cool cats at, at work. But then you've got the magazine editors and the onliners and everyone else who's developing products. So you can get products to go with that. And, you know, it just the research continues to show that our theories in science are theories that don't work. And Mm. once a theory breaks, you don't get to hear about that. So the idea that oxidative stress by itself or inflammation by itself is the cause of all disease without actually looking at what's causing those things. We think, oh, if we get in there and interfere with cells and break up their oxidative stress cycles with these molecules and eat a lot of them or get them as supplements, it's somehow that's going to fix us and make us live forever. That is a broken concept and you don't hear that it's broken because it's selling great. So yeah, the superfood thing is really concerning because we think somehow we're getting an edge and everybody's about getting an edge. I mean, all the way from doing baby Mozart back in the eighties, we're going to get an edge for everybody and, you know, be superhuman, but we're not, we're the sickest population ever known to humanity. Uh, despite knowing about nutrition despite fortifying foods despite an abundance of food everywhere and an abundance of free time and you know living wage most people can afford to eat in in western societies and western societies are telling poor people they shouldn't have meat when that's the best food if you don't have resources you need to have a meat-centric diet the more poor you are the more you need meat because if you're rich you've got Doctors and drugs yeah. and stuff and supplements, but when you're poor, you don't have any of that, and you need real nutrients from the original source for humanity, which was meat foods. So yeah, the superfood uh, thing well is said. is sad, and they're putting it in baby foods. Quinoa is another one you mentioned. The, oh you know, yeah, the, nuts, the almonds are big time, but you can buy oh, baby cashews. Yeah, that have cashews, almonds, chia seeds, quinoa, bran. Plantain is another one that's really popular right now. I'm not sure why, I guess, for your plantain gut for chips. Items. Yeah. <laughs> supposed to be like a good starch for your <laughs>
1: microbiome. They taste good. <laughs> I'll give them that. And they, they usually good. can
0: buy them dipped in chocolate, you know, so that. <gasps> oh, really? Chocolate. Wow. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Right. Everything's
0: dipped in chocolate. Now you haven't noticed that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen them for sale dipped in chocolate, but um, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, there's old fashioned junk foods that are high in oxalate, like your potato chips and your peanut butter and your Reese's cups. So you got your basic chocolate candy and potato based junk food, and then you've got the superfoods. And then we want to turn the junk food potato chip into a superfood potato chip and think we can have it both ways. And it's just taking Something bad to worse, to worse, Mm -hmm. to worse. And so Mm -hmm. we don't realize that in this effort to do the cool cat thing that we're (laughs) hurting ourselves.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, you know, the first thing I think of when you say that is what have we been experiencing for the past two years? Yeah. You know, so
0: people lonely and struggling with their eating habits and relying on junk food and like, then they've been marketing like our, you know, longing for the 50s or the 60s or the 70s, or the 80s and wanting to eat Cocoa Puffs during a crisis and mm. being afraid to go to the gym and just like it's so sad. And then, OK, well, we better if we're going to eat these bad things, maybe I should throw in some superfoods to make up for it which is another cultural problem. Okay, you can have dessert if you eat your broccoli. Like we still do that as adults. Like uh, we, yes. if we eat something bad, we're going to fix it by going and having a smoothie or having a spinach salad tomorrow. Well, I'll jog tomorrow and eat a salad for lunch. And that's going to make up for two pieces of keto chocolate cake.
1: I'm, so- <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I appreciate it. I'm laughing because I'm so glad you said that. It's kind of an interesting thought process, isn't it? Uh, and all these different diets, people are more confused than ever. And, and I agree with you. I always meet people where they're at, but I also want to be honest with people about their goals and what what thriving, what does that look like and what kind of nutrients and, and where can you get those nutrients and what foods are are going to be safe for us to consume uh, and still have bioavailable nutrients that are going to help us stay healthy and and protect our immune systems, and and, and so on and so forth. I'm curious, Sally, can we go more into how can people begin the healing process and what they can expect? Because uh, as you and I both know, that dumping process, it's a process, and it takes time, and we want to be careful not to go cold turkey all at once. So would would you mind speaking into that a little bit, what that healing process might look like, and, and what people can expect? This brings
0: up sort of the central issue of why you don't want to get this problem and why you don't want to let this carry on even if you don't have symptoms yet because you end up with a chronic toxicity disorder where you've got a toxin. If it was mercury all over your brain, would you want to keep eating the foods that have mercury? This is a parallel to that and you can't have this stuff now. Departing your tissues all at once, you don't want to rush this. No, people think, "Oh, how do I get this out quicker?" I hear that all the time. How do I get this out quicker? No, 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 no. Do you unearth mercury in a day? You really hurt all your critical tissues, your vascular system, if you tried to unearth all that in a day. The mm-hmm. body's wise enough and has only so many resources to deal with this big mess that's gone on. So it, it takes about 10 years for the body, maybe more. It's not been well studied. We only know this because various groups, including the um, triangle oxalate group, have been teaching this diet. In fact, the triangle group is really important because Susan Owens was the first person to come out publicly saying, look, this is, this is not only acute illness from when you're being exposed to it on the way in, it's a mm-hmm. chronic illness that we see when you stop eating these foods. All of a sudden, these weird events occur that are quite troubling and f- evidence of a toxicity of this stuff coming out. And this is, she dubbed it dumping when the system is, is having these cycles, these periods where suddenly rashes break out and diarrhea, and you feel really sick or tired or out of it or just wrong. And you can see it, some people literally get boils and things on their skin and literally have crystals pushing out of their body. And this can continue. I, I have a little eye sty right here right now. I'm in my ninth year of clearing oxalate, and I'm still clearing oxalate. Mm, um, and wow. you want to go slowly and you don't want to turn on that response to Oh, oxalate's not coming in. Now we can clean it out because the body's intention was always to get never was to hoard oxalate the last thing it wanted to do would be an oxalate hoarder Mm -hmm. the body had to do that in order to protect your vascular system your heart and your kidneys there's only so much capacity in the vascular system and in your kidneys before that high level of oxalic acid in the blood creates a heart attack or a stroke and in the meantime your vascular system is having to deliver it all over the body and you've got degenerating capillary beds which can ruin your vision And you've got metabolic problems going on. You've got damage to your mitochondria. The enzymes that give you energy in the cells get interrupted because oxalate sits on those enzymes. And then the last step in glycolysis is broken. So your cells don't have enough ATP energy to run their functions and their little pumps that keep them right, you know, you end up with anemia because the red blood cells are now exploding because they don't have Mm -hmm. enough ATP. You can't produce enough blood sugar sometimes, so you can have low blood sugar, you can have insulin resistance and diabetes, all coming from the metabolic interference of oxalate. And how is this weakened body that's got a chronic inflammation disease, a chronic deposition disease, going to safely unload this and that's its impulse. It wants to unload it as quickly as it can because it knows that this period of no plants is not forever. Mm. Because I think we used to cycle in and off plants historically for millions Mm. of years. We would be able to dig up tubers a certain time of year for a couple months. We would be able to find greens and berries a few weeks here and there. But in the wintertime we would be on a no plant diet. And so that would be a period of time to release. So the body's reading. It's always reading what's coming and going. And it's, it's noticing, okay, for five days now, there's no plants. It must be winter time. It's time to clear this stuff out. So some people will notice already on the fifth day, they'll suddenly have a period of feeling ill again because now the oxalic acid coming from the tissues is high in the blood, high in the kidneys, and making you feel sick. Some people, they don't notice that for two weeks, two months, six months, a year. They can go full carnivore for a year and then suddenly they hit a wall and they're sick as anything. So it's really unpredictable, highly individual, and all the factors involved in that are quite complex and they will remain mysterious for a long time. So you have to respect your individuality and work with the concept that you don't perpetually eat a toxin and get away with that forever. And when you stop eating that toxin, there's a price to pay, And it could take a long time. I often tell my clients, look, once you get to your third year, you're beginning your third year, you've completed two years of low oxalate eating, you've gotten there gracefully, you've done your supportive supplements, now your body, the kidneys are working better, your vascular system is recovering better, your general vitality is better, which gives you more energy to clear out more oxalate, and you could be hitting your worst year at year three, now that you have the vitality to really dig up those roads and really make a mess of everything in order to get better.
1: There's something really quite lovely and beautiful about going through a healing process. And I know for me, it was many years as well. And, you know, we're still healing and still growing and still learning. We always will be until the day we die. That's promoted as a bad thing. And I think there can be a lot of knowledge and wisdom and beauty, actually, in that process. Things that we didn't realize about ourselves. Uh, beforehand, when we were kind of stuck in crises mode. What's one thing you wish people would ask about oxalates but don't? Well, the big question
0: is, how is oxalate playing into our current crises in chronic disease? How is it playing into what we think of as normal aging? Everything you think of as normal aging, frailty, stiffness, low muscle mass, poor metabolism, low energy, osteoporosis osteopenia arthritis memory problems anger and anxiety um, that can all be oxalate poisoning it just takes several decades to get that poisoned and for you to wear down your inherent vitality your inherent robust resilience uh, those powers get slowly taken away from you and then you're old. but they don't have to be taken away from you. You could maintain them if you knew that you were poisoning yourself. So, you know, I believe in the precautionary principle. Like, we, there has been plenty of evidence about the toxicity of oxalate. And then we willy-nilly keep saying, well, it doesn't really matter. It's just a healthy thing that's got these other good things. So the bad part can't matter. Um, so I, I wish people would stop, you know, researchers especially, the the whole public health edifice i wish they would ask what if our advice to put more vegetables to solve every problem isn't working what if we cared to answer that question but once we've got our big solution we hang on to it too long we do that individually we'll try something like the vegan diet and believe in it so much and we stay in online groups where everybody's cheerleading you and believing it and saying just hang in there you'll learn to do this better and it'll get good um and we'll stick with something that's not working for us because we're dismissing our own experience. And once you enter the reality of what's wrong with you and enter that healing process you were talking about, this is a chance to heal the relationship with yourself. And coming back to believing in your own experience and recognizing what you're dealing with is a profoundly growing up process of learning self-compassion, and getting away from the push, 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 type A on everything, and recognizing there's a certain balance that fits the situation. And when you're really sick, sometimes that means lots of naps and lots of, like, no thank you to the grandchildren or whatever other things are on your plate, like Mm. making yourself matter, really doing a kind of oxygen mask on me in a crisis first and hanging on to that and recognizing that you are in a health crisis and treating yourself as if you are and if you matter. Um, And that's – you see that in the cancer memoirs, and this is – worse than cancer because nobody has this violin they're ready to whip out on your behalf. Nobody has sympathy for you with your oxalate toxicity problems. Nobody cares. They don't want to hear about it and they don't understand it. So, you know, it's even deeper than that. It's deeper when it's something that's not socially approved of.
1: Mm. Well said. Um, I, yeah, again, I really appreciate your wisdom and your knowledge in this area and how you've walked us through that again, it's a process and it will take time. I I think, and I believe you've mentioned before, and I I love how you embody um, this mindset of allow this six month transition, do one food at a time and just giving people, just letting people know to go slow (laughs) and take their time. And that that is a very good thing. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us today?
0: Well, you know, everybody's going to be unique, and if you've done an inventory and you see that you're really into turmeric and these other high oxalate foods and you've overdone it, uh, get some support, get some help, learn to do supplements and learn to deal with what might be your way, or learn just learn to interpret what's happening with your body so you and your body are communicating better. Um, But some people are in trouble in really simpler ways like they've got a little carpal tunnel going on and they can just kind of change their diet and then their carpal tunnel goes away and they carry on with their merry life and six months later when they get hip pain they don't notice that that's oxalate clearing out of the hips and then two years later when they get back problems for six months they don't realize that's oxalate clearing out so but once your system is now clearing oxalate you may have a perpetually slightly elevated oxalate level from the past. So you got to be careful. Once you have become oxalate aware, you need to stay consistently aware of that and manage portions. If you are dabbling with chocolate and almonds and cashews and their brethren, then do it in reasonable portions. Portion control can be done if you're getting enough fat, salt, butter, meat, nutrients. You don't have to be starving and, and being uncontrolled with your eating. So there's a lot of layers to this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whatever your issues are, reach out and get some support from somebody who is oxalate
1: aware. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sally. Um, Again, so glad that you were able to, to join me today in sharing your wisdom and your knowledge. Thank you for having me. It's really been a delight. Thanks. This was such an amazing episode packed with so many pearls of wisdom that defy popular dogma. I hope my conversation with Sally gives you hope in the healing process and helps you think about foods you are consuming that may be problematic for you. You can learn more about Sally at sallyknorton.com. I believe sharing is caring, so I have a favor to ask. If my show is helpful to you, I would be so honored if you would leave me a review in iTunes so more people can find me. It is through sharing that we create community eliminate guilt and shame, and bring about healing. Thank you in advance for taking five minutes out of your day to support my show so others can find me. Don't miss an episode of Eat for Life. Be sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast player.